Hello, and welcome to episode 97 of the Medical Device Success Podcast and Videocast. I am Ted Newell, your host. Today's episode is the first of two episodes about medical trade shows. This is different from industry trade shows, which we talked about last week. This episode focuses on what has changed and what you should be thinking about for the trade shows this fall of 2022. The second episode focuses on trade shows in 2023. Yes, it is August and 2023 will come sooner than you think. To guide us today in this conversation, I am privileged to have two event planning experts, Lauren Dustman, Senior Manager, Global Events at Hyperfine, and Kimberly Stansell, Meeting, Trade Show, and Event Strategy Consultant. Combined, these ladies manage about 100 shows and events annually. We cover the 2022 trade show and event experience year-to-date and what we think will happen this fall. How have trade shows changed and what you should consider doing differently this fall to optimize them? Of course, we talk about alternatives to traditional trade show activity. This is a great conversation full of pointed advice. Now, a quick bit of housekeeping. First, I've changed the podcast art. This is what you see when you go to the library of your podcast player of choice and look for the Medical Device Success Podcast. I felt like the original art was dated and needed to be refreshed. So don't freak out when you don't see the old art. Second, in the show notes, you will see a link to a podcast survey. Please, please, please take the survey. It will help me provide a better podcast for you. The most important of questions, of course, are at the end of the survey. Thank you in advance. Finally, I've accepted a sponsor for several episodes. So you will hear a couple of ads in my voice during these episodes. They are short, to the point, and of value for many listeners. Speaking of ads, here's the first one. Are you up to date? Up to date on all the med tech technologies that could affect the future of your career and your business. For example, supply chain, new materials, wearables, robotics, cybersecurity, OEM advances, digital health and artificial intelligence, and startup guidance, and more. Think about it. You have been cooped up for two years due to the pandemic. What can you do? Consider attending Biomed Device Boston, taking place September 28th and 29th. It is a great place to network and learn from subject matter experts. Use the promo code MDS22 for a free expo pass at biomedboston.com. Again, that's capital M, capital D, capital S, 22 at biomedboston.com. There you go, the first sponsor. As usual, check the show notes for links to Lauren and Kimberly, the survey, and Biomed Device Boston. Lauren and Kimberly are right around the corner, ready to help you optimize your fall 2022 trade shows and events.
Lauren and Kimberly, welcome to the Medical Device Success Podcast. It's great to have you here to talk about trade shows and events and how they have changed since COVID and what it looks like going forward. Thank you, Ted. I am so excited to be a part of your podcast. Uh, I really appreciate the invitation. And I do just want to reiterate um, that I am attending and speaking as a standalone professional and that my views do not reflect the views of my company, Hyperfine. No problem. <laughs> Thank you, Kimberly. Ted, for the opportunity. I'm glad to be here, and I'm looking forward to a very robust discussion today. Yes, we've, we've got a lot to talk about. So first, I'm just going to ask you both. I'll start with Lauren. You know, Tell me what you do, what your role is at Hyperfine, what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So again, my name is Lauren Dustman, and I am the Senior Manager of Global Events at Hyperfine. So basically, our trade shows and commercial programs on a global scale, I manage the strategy, the budget, and um, basically how we show up and, and how we're presenting ourselves at those programs. Thank you. And Kimberly? Thank you. I'm Kimberly Stansell, and I am an independent meetings and events strategist and consultant. And I partner with organizations and companies in the healthcare, life sciences, and medical devices sector as a consultant. And one of the companies that you you uh, consult with is the Bixel Medical Marketing Group. Is that correct? That is correct. That's how I know Lauren. We've been business partners before. BMMG is one of my great clients. I love partnering with them. They do great work. And we have a great consortium of consultants. And so it's just a wonderful opportunity for me. It is a great organization. And I've enjoyed working with Lisa Bixell, the the head of that organization. So very good. Very good. Now, uh, real quick question. So, um, Kimberly, you said both trade shows and events and so on. So, Lauren, you're also working with events as well, correct? I am. Events, uh, webinars, basically um, anything that influences or benefits our commercial team and strategies, I'm involved in some way, shape, or form. Okay. And just curious. Lauren, how many trade shows and events are you involved in on an annual basis? Oh, goodness. Um, I should have known this question would come up and prepared a little bit better. Uh, you, can, you can guess. <laughs> I I don't know. I would say between, oh my gosh, there's a lot. I would say upwards of 50, uh, because when you think also about our mobile roadshow that we have going on too, um, we do we do quite a few demos, which require management. Um, I do have a, a team who helps me manage those, but um, there's always quite a few balls in the air and uh, moving pieces that we're trying to be mindful of. Same question for you, Kimberly. I consult on about uh, up to 50 trade shows a year, and that includes smaller tabletop sponsorships. They have other components to them, to major shows that have a huge 20 by 20 presence in the booth. We're looking for sponsorship engagement, um, getting our thought leaders to be able to be on panels and in discussions and make remarks from the podium. So it it varies year to year. Sure, sure. Okay. I just wanted you to, I knew both of you were really busy and I just wanted Mm -hmm. to make that point that, you know, whether as consulting or whether you're the company to have a professional managing this stuff is uh, very, very important. So what is the difference about trade shows 
pre-COVID versus where we are now as we go into this sort of post-COVID phase? What, what do we think the differences are? Kimberly, we'll start with you. The differences are your expectations as a participant in a trade show. So pre-pandemic, um, many organizations had been doing it for many years. They're very experienced at it. They had a template for how they were going to roll out their participation in different shows, oftentimes the same shows every year. Uh, where we are now with the pandemic still in effect, uh, organizations are really looking at the opportunities in a different way. Um, you know, the virtual experience, the virtual exhibits uh, was an underwhelming experience for a lot of organizations. And now that uh, the live in-person trade shows are back into effect, it's a matter of looking at what is our return on investment and what is that going to look like? Who is going to be there? What can change at the last minute? You know, a lot of times an organization says, we are expecting 2,000 people at this show. And then if an, a variant in COVID spikes, then they're allowing participants to switch to virtual. So that, that changes who's going to be there and what the foot traffic will look like. So if they're still, it's still fluid, there are a lot of moving parts and a lot of organizations have to expand their thinking about how they're going to meet their goals, objectives and still walk away with a great return on their investment. What do you think, Lauren? I absolutely agree with everything that Kimberly said. And I also think that when we're trying to just kind of boil it down to what's different pre and post, I would say pretty much the entire experience is different. Um, you know, we as a world have gone through a global pandemic. And so the way that we're all interacting with each other is different. The amount of time it takes to plan is different. The amount of traffic, the hybrid event aspect is different. So really our entire approach to trade shows, we can't ever go back to being the same as it was before. I would just say everything in a sense is different. It's almost like we're in a weird kind of like parallel universe where everything is mostly the same, but kind of different. And you know, it, it sounds very weird when I'm saying it out loud, but um, I think that's also just setting those expectations and having those conversations with with your stakeholders because they can't expect the same thing that we that we saw and that we experienced pre pandemic. You know, I'm a sales and marketing guy, so I think a lot of times in terms of a sales process, and in a sales process, we want to reduce friction. And it's the same thing, I think, for trade shows. It's like wherever you introduce friction, you impact the ability of people to attend and participate, whether it's in face-to-face -face or in person. So like, like a meeting I went to a few months ago, they required a proof of vaccination. They required mm -hmm. that you wear masks. Mm -hmm. And that was still a time where some countries might have had difficulty traveling to the United States. That was uh, before they lifted some of the... Um, proof of vaccination restrictions that I think ended in June. So that kind of friction definitely affects attendance and, and so on. So if you, what have you experienced so far in 2022, uh, Kimberly, in terms of what some of your clients have experienced in terms of attendance and, you know, movement at their booths and so on? Well, it's interesting because uh, at the height of the pandemic or the beginning of the pandemic, 
a lot of shows were canceled in 2020. And then towards the end of 2020, going into 2021, we had the hybrid experience. And now in 2022, the trend that I've observed is most organizations are doing, they're hosting in person. But when you look at the data, I'll use DDW as an example, which was in um, May of this year. When we received the final report out from the organization, they compared 2019, the last in-person event, with the results of 2022. So there's there's this gap in between. And um, so you have to look at the data a little differently. But people are meeting again and people are or attending trade shows because people love to to engage in person and have that eyeball to eyeball contact with individuals. So the industry, I believe, is working its way back, but in a different way. As Lauren was saying earlier, everything is different. It's different, but it's not. And we still have to remain agile and flexible and consider some variables that perhaps in the past we weren't so mindful of. Yeah. And before I ask Lauren for her input, I'll, I'll the the show that I was referencing back in May, they were at 50% of pre-COVID, but that was with these restrictions I talked about, um, which now trade shows in the fall don't have. So I'm hoping that trade shows in the fall um, are a little bit better. But Lauren, what's your what's your experience been so far? So, I mean, I've, I've had a variety of experiences uh, this last year. Um, I think that the attendance overall that we're seeing is lower than than pre-pandemic but what i am seeing and what data is is also reinforcing is that while the attendance may be lower that the people who are in fact attending the trade shows are the ones who you want to be there talking to they are the ones who want to acquire new technology who have buying power who are really driven to be there uh, because it's more difficult to go to trade shows now. You have to miss work. You don't, uh, you have to have some sort of, you know, you have to quarantine sometimes. So if you're willing to get on a plane and go to a trade show as an attendee, you're very driven. And those are the people who med device, medical capital, biotech, pharma companies that they want to be talking to. So that's been um, encouraging. Um, I do believe that the hybrid approach to meetings has had a bit of an, a, a negative effect from an exhibitor standpoint, um, just because sometimes when you get the pre-show list, you can't tell who's in person and who's virtual. Um, it makes marketing efforts a little bit more difficult. And it also, I know, even from an association or an organizational planning side of things, it is so much more difficult to plan a whole virtual meeting alongside a live program. So while we're seeing that those hybrid events are are probably here to stay, um, they're they're making life a little bit more difficult in my experience. Um, one other thing I think you know that we just need to be mindful of because this is what we're seeing in 2022 for the larger programs is that the meeting patterns are a little bit different than what we've seen historically. Um, rather than have the meeting take up a whole week and have somebody out of the office for a week, it's over a weekend. Um, and that that absolutely affects the feel of the meeting, the traffic to the exhibit hall, you know, how people are attending. So that's all something to be mindful of when planning. And then finally, what I'm observing this year is that there is really a lot of value in those local smaller programs because people can just get in a car and drive to a local venue and, you know, interact with their peers and with people who are in their, you know, their immediate area who have more of an effect on, on their 
practice than on their life. And so whenever we as industry can go to those smaller kind of hyper local and regional programs, we have really, really meaningful interactions that we might not have at these huge events. Yeah. I'd probably add um, that the speakers are there. They're typically the KOLs. And so most companies have a certain amount of KOL action that they need to get involved in, people they need to meet with. So a lot of key people are at these meetings. Um, you know, my experience is like I also attended a smaller meeting this summer where the there was not any restriction like requirement of vaccine or anything like that. And they were at about two thirds. So I got a, my personal feeling is the fall shows, especially with travel prices going back down a little bit. At first, I was worried because in the summer they went up so much. And I thought that might re discourage people from attending, but with the the prices coming back down a little bit, maybe the fall shows will do a bit better. Maybe they'll be. I mean, would would we agree that there might be some fall shows at seventy five percent of what pre COVID? Any what are your thoughts, Kimberly? Um, with the travel, I, it's important to be mindful of ease of travel. Um, what we've seen with the airlines and the just ongoing cancellations. And so you want to be mindful of that with your, your team. Um, people want to get to point A to point B uh, quickly, efficiently, and not have other parts of their business or their commitments interrupted. So that's one thing I would uh, just stress here is that when people are looking at where they're going to go and who they're going to send. Um, look at the ease of travel. And as Lauren was saying earlier about regional shows, that there is tremendous value in doing regional shows. So uh, when someone goes to uh, participates in a show that's near where they live or where they work, then other modes of transportation be, become an option sometimes. So ease of travel is really important. Yeah. Lauren, what do you think? What do you think about attendance in the fall? I would, I would love to say that I'm confident that we'll hit 75% of attendance. I, I don't know that I can say that. Um, just as I think it depends on if, you know, what the COVID restrictions are for the mm -hmm. programs, if they're offering a hybrid program, because I, I, I think that the associations, organizations that still are offering hybrid programs are going to continue to see lower attendance numbers. Um, you know, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, we want to make sure people are comfortable and that they don't feel like they're missing out on education, you know, because they don't want to put themselves at risk. But again, from an industry perspective, that's really tough to, to kind of have to deal with that. Um, I do, you know, I was, I was doing some research on when trade shows are expected to really be back and people are speculating probably as far out as 2024, Wow. Um, until we start to get to see, you know, a hundred percent, maybe attendance, if we ever get that much of what it used to be. And also, you know, same thing, 2024 for companies to bring back their full budgets for trade shows and events that they had pre COVID and seeing that value. So I would say again, in a perfect world, yes, I'd love to see 75% attendance this fall. Do I think that it could happen maybe for, for some programs, based on how they're running their events. Um, but more than likely, I would say, I, I don't think so, kind of just across the board. I couldn't make that blanket statement. Yeah. And going back to my comment on friction, it's take a doctor's practice that you might used to send, let's let's say it's a, a practice of five doctors and they used to send two or three doctors to a show or allow two or three to go. 
you know, they can't afford for those guys to come back mm-hmm. and, and those gals to be sick. You know, exactly. that, that exactly. just kills the practice or even the hospital or university clinics or whatever. They can't afford to have these people come back sick. And I know that there is some pressure on attendees from the institutions or the practices they belong to. And well, just to to that point, I want to add that one of the, you know, the most trending hot topics for hospital administrators right now is, you know, gaps in employment and how are they going to staff, you know, their floors? They can't provide the care that they need to because, you know, there's just simply a lack of, of, of employees. So, you know, when we think about, the stress that all of our medical systems, uh, university hospitals, you know, clinical clinics are under, um, and then add, we're going to take some of those people out of your already understaffed facility and send them to an educational event for a week when they could be sitting at their computer in between cases, you know, getting their learning in. It's a really tough sell to, uh, to pull those professionals out for that entire time. No, it's a really good point. yeah, and then also too the whole staffing issue that affects other components of the travel experience and the engagement experience. Hotels are feeling the same thing. Airlines are feeling the same thing. AV companies are feeling the same thing. So um, the whole staffing issue that that adds another layer of complexity to people getting from point A to point B and making the decision. Okay, do we want to send? Are we going to invest in this opportunity and send our team there? Right. Okay. Excellent. So I think that we're all in agreement that the fall shows uh, probably be 75% or less, possibly less. There's still a bit of friction out there. Let's talk about the virtual part of the programs because uh, the program that I went to earlier this year, their virtual attendance was actually lower than I thought it would be for an international organization. But they still offered you the virtual exhibit component and so on. Um, have you been happy with virtual exhibits and virtual uh, a virtual exhibit type of environment, Kimberly? Most of my clients have been underwhelmed with the experience. <laughs> okay. And so what I've been advising and when we're scouting out opportunities is we're not looking for exhibit opportunities because when you hear the word exhibit, you will usually associate that with engagement. And that's not really what the virtual experience provides you with, not optimally. So we're looking for virtual marketplaces, an opportunity to communicate with potential attendees pre, during, and post the trade show, the convention, the meeting. And you can post um, you know, information about your organization, uh, you can start maybe perhaps some game, a gamification a tool going that starts in the virtual marketplace, but culminates in the booth. You're looking for opportunities to put, uh, introduce that virtual audience to your thought leaders. So it's more of a virtual marketplace opportunity that in this time is um, has more potential and has a better return on investment for exhibitors as opposed to a trade show, a virtual trade show where there really isn't that genuine or true engagement. Your thoughts, Lauren? That's, I mean, I was said because I have not seen anything about a virtual marketplace. So that's really interesting. And I would love to chat more with you offline about that. But, you know, I think that we, we can agree. I think it's great that 
we, an industry and as an like event planners and professionals got creative and found ways to still try to fit the needs of exhibitors and get exhibitors in front of their target audience. But I do feel like Kimberly has said with her clients and every single, you know, planner forum that I've gone to and talked to about this, we've all agreed that virtual booths are not working. And I think that, you know, I don't know why that is. It's maybe, you know, just something that we (laughs) threw at a wall and it didn't stick. But uh, my recommendation always is if we have a virtual booth, that's great. Let's, you know, let's direct them to our evergreen virtual booth, which is our website that we have up Mm -hmm. all year round and that we maintain and we update. You know, let's put some really basic literature on there that they can download and we can track who is clicking on what, but let's not staff it. Let's turn off the chat. Don't spend a ton of time customizing it. You know, harvest the analytics that we can out of it, but don't expect Mm -hmm. to have, you know, a a good number of leads come from your booth. I think that if you are going to have a virtual booth, you know, don't pay extra for it. If it comes as a part of a package, great. Mm -hmm. And then harvest the analytics that you can from that you know, monitor your website traffic to your to your main company website, see how many downloads you get, see where people are clicking and where they're interested, maybe what's resonating with them and use that more as like a market research opportunity than you would a lead generation opportunity. Yeah. And then one thing I would add is uh, to what Lauren was saying, uh, don't spend invest a lot of time in, you know, customizing and put a lot of time into it. But if it comes with your exhibit package, do use it, you know, to mm-hmm. put uh, information and, and to, like she said, harvest the analytics, but definitely do use it. Don't just have your name and your banner there. Um, just, you know, put, put something up there of value uh, so you can get something out of it because it is part of the overall exhibit package that you're paying for. So definitely you want to use it. Yeah, uh, that's very, very good advice. Now we'll take a short break to find out a little more detail from our sponsor. So what kind of company are you? Startup? Emerging growth? Midsize? Large? Where do you go to stay on top of the changing medical device landscape? Well, consider Biomed Device Boston taking place September 28th and 29th, where there are multiple learning opportunities with subject matter experts at the center stage, the tech theater, the Startup Masterclass in cooperation with MassMedic, and the Startup Stage. You will also find 200 exhibitors with the latest supply chain, digital health, cybersecurity, robotic, and OEM technologies, and more. You will learn about innovative technologies that could impact the way you make or market your products. And you will hear from industry leaders where innovation is taking us in the future. And what about your network? Biomed Device Boston is a great place to meet like-minded leaders and experts. There is a reason that the big companies like J&J, Boston Scientific, Cardinal Health, Siemens, and Medtronic send leaders to this meeting. For a free expo pass, use the promo code MDS22 at biomedboston.com. Now, back to the episode. So if if you look at the what we've learned during COVID and going into this year, do you think that exhibitors have learned that they can meet some objectives without 
as much emphasis on trade shows by doing different things? Do you think that's part of the learning? And when I say different things, I'm saying trade shows, one category of events, there can be other events and other types of activities that help generate actionable leads. Lauren, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the height of the pandemic, my company got very creative um, and works with MRA to to have a mobile roadshow that we go all over the U.S., up into Canada, and we bring our product to the customer. Um, you know, and so even when they wouldn't let us into the hospital due to COVID restrictions, we could have people come out into our parking lot and have COVID, you know, safe distance, um, you know, on a truck with a AC, with an air purifier or a heater, and we could demonstrate the the use of our product right there in their parking lot. So that absolutely. And then I think as we were discussing earlier um, this week or, or last week is that we're showing up at trade shows differently, which is, you know, thinking outside of the booth. I think that there was so much emphasis pre-COVID on having the biggest and coolest booth with fireworks mm -hmm. displays, if we could, um, and, you know, the coolest holograms. And now it's, you know, how do we have quality interaction with people, fewer people, but really quality leads? And how do we convey our message without spending a ton of money because of inflation and escalated prices for shipping, drayage, material handling, rigging. Um, so trade shows, webinars, mobile road shows, proctoring, there's a ton to do. And I think that looking again, when it comes back to trade shows, they are still a very viable source. And I think people see that, but now mm -hmm. they're starting to look outside of the booth at trade shows uh, when they strategize the best way to show up. I think I think it's funny because it was about a year or so ago, Lauren, that you brought to my attention the fact that there was a run on box trucks in the United yes. States <laughs> because so many people were taking this particular strategy across all industries, not just med tech, but mm -hmm. all industries, you know, putting a demo on a on a box truck and taking off. Uh, Kimberly, your thoughts on doing things differently um, and to to get more out of events. Uh, than just a, a straight up trade show? The number one thing is when you're looking at an opportunity, I believe, look at the opportunity and say, is this opportunity the best way for us to tell our story? The story of our company, the, co the story of our, our brand, the story of our product, our service. And then if that's your filter, then you will align yourself. That opens you up to align yourself with other opportunities besides just having a booth. So that could be through a, part, a partnership, that could be through your, your, key, your KOLs, um, that could be just other things that give you an opportunity to message, get your message out there, connect you with the audience that you want to be connected with, but still telling your story. Because that's why you're there, is to tell your story. And you want to be aligned with opportunities that best suit that. So that would that's uh, my opinion on that. Okay. Um, I'm just going through my notes here. What impact do you think this has had on the associations that organize these meetings? Um, because trade shows in the past have been a big source of income for these organizations. Lauren, what's your reaction to that? 
Yeah, I mean, I know it's been very hard uh, for that. They have been put in a really difficult place where they have two key stakeholders um, that they're trying to make happy, both their HCP attendees and their industry allies and sponsors and exhibitors. Mm -hmm. And it's a really a rock and a hard place, you know, mm-hmm. when you have generate so much revenue from one in-person event a year and you have to get creative and go virtual when that's never been done before and then go over to hybrid, which has never been done before and is twice the amount of work. And people are complaining on both sides because it's not exactly how it used to be. Like I uh, commend my association and organization allies, because I can't imagine being in their spot and trying to adapt to the new normal. You know, I know that they've all been really flexible and trying to do the best that they can throughout all of this. And we've seen the strategies change. We've seen, you know, pricing structures change. We've seen new and exciting offerings for sponsorships and educational opportunities that we haven't seen before, which has been encouraging. And my message to them would just be to tell them to try to conduct roundtables, try to get industry and attendee feedback, and let's all work together and, you know, and hand in hand to see what we can do to get, I don't know if get back is the right word to where we were, but to to try to brainstorm how to move forward together. I know that there's so much positive um, connections and a lot of people who want to see things work again for trade shows and to not have attendance drop off or not have exhibitors pull out because they can't justify the the value. So let's all get together. Let's have a forum. You know, I know um, MPI is a great place to have those kinds of conversations, um, HCEA, and let's continue to brainstorm. I totally went on a tangent there. Sorry, Ted. But, um, <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like they're trying really hard and they're in a really tough spot. So and then the labor shortage is really affecting them too. They've got nobody at the convention centers, nobody at the hotels. I mean, it's just a mess. And uh, we all got to try to be a little bit more, have more grace, I think, when we talk to our association and organization event planners, because they have been going through it. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, that, that event I went to, the hotel was begging you. Uh, they they sort of said it was for water um, saving. <laughs> it was not to have your room you know, maintained for like two or three days, but they didn't have the people. Yeah. No, no room service, no, no, uh, you know, hotel cleaning, like don't run the shower at a certain time. Even, I mean, it was, it's been, it's been crazy. It's just been the wild west out there with the hospitality industry. (laughs) Kimberly, what what are your thoughts on, on the, the, the challenges to these associations? I think this is an opportunity or it's been an opportunity for associations to rethink what type of partner they want to be. Rethink that and revise that. So if they're offering something, a program or trade show, sponsorship or what have you, um, and they're doing it the same way they did it before, they need to be prepared to be fully transparent and explain why we're doing it this way again, or they need to make changes. And, and the feedback that they'll get, as Lauren was just saying, um, is through roundtables, 
uh, focus groups, uh, from their board members, from their online communities, to get that feedback of what it is we need, the industry needs, their their uh, industry partners, what we need. So it's it's determining and redefining what type of partner do we want to be. Because I, I do believe we're not going back to pre-pandemic. The pandemic, if there's a, a positive part of it, is that it's it's shown us that there's an opportunity for us to move forward in a different way, a more productive way, a more effective way. But we have to we have to stop longing for what we had in 2019 and before. And this is where we are now. This is what we've learned. And so how can we make this work and make it work more effectively and more broadly? So again, being transparent and deciding what type of partner they will now they now plan to be and communicate. Like some of the things that Lauren was mentioning about when you go out to a show and you get to the hotel, you know, a lot of that stuff, those issues, that's communication. That's pre that's pre show communication, and that a lot of that can be handled and communicated to your attendees, to your trades, your exhibitors before they land and they walk into that venue. So communication is key. I think though the both of you brought up some really important points that exhibitors need to think about the med tech companies, which goes to the travel problems that we talked about. Then you've got the housing problems that we just talked about. The the same thing occurs in the restaurants. So the experience could be a little bit difficult. But going back to the concept of, you know, if we're looking into the fall trade shows, you know, we have a lot of people that are getting ready to go to their fall trade shows. They've already committed probably for the most part for a lot of their space. What should they be thinking about? If you go back to your comment, Lauren, about thinking outside the booth, you know, what should they send a few less people? Um, you know, what should companies be thinking about as they move into the fall shows? Yeah. So, you know, I can share what, what my thoughts are, and that is to be really mindful of your exhibit itself. Is it heavy? Is it hard to put up? Do you have a bunch of crazy LED tiles that all have to be locked and put into place? It's going to take hours and thousands of dollars in install and dismantle fees. Um, so really think and try to have a very smart exhibit to save on those costs. I would say, you know, given what we know about the lower attendance rate at trade shows, don't have so many suits in the booth. People aren't going to want to walk up to your booth. Number one, if you have a bunch of uh, sales reps in, in nice suits standing there waiting to pounce on somebody who shows an interest. So you can send fewer people, have a smaller room block. Um, and then I would say, you know, if you're already locked into your space, that's fine. Um, maybe looking forward, think about uh, being really mindful of your overall booth footprint, but then also spend your time and resources and funds on cultivating your KOL speakers and providing opportunities for them to interact with show attendees. You know, folks want to hear from their peers and when their peers are advocating for a product or you know, a piece of capital equipment or, or what have you, whatever your company is selling, that is what establishes trust and confidence from your target customers. So think about educational opportunities, um, you know, potential dinners, how we can really foster meaningful interaction 
uh, with the HCPs and their peers. And um, I think that's really what the key is. Maybe don't spend $17,000 on a jumbo banner that is going to direct people to Mm -hmm. your booth. Spend $17,000 on a lunch and learn that has a really impactful title that's going to get people's attention and that has content that matters to your target customers. Good points. Kimberly, your turn. <laughs> Thinking outside the booth say, and, and the fault of the should people send a few less people? How how they how should they look at their booth space? Well, if if you're able to make those changes and it's uh, economically feasible to do it, then that's something to consider. But let's say that you're not able to make those changes. So what can we do that will give us uh, an opportunity to find, to have something that happens in the booth that we can repurpose and use later on and has a longer shelf life? So if there are uh, or, uh, individuals engaging with your KOLs in your booth, your sales team. There's, you can record those testimonials. You can create videos. Um, if you have KOLs on the panel or someone speaking from the, the uh, microphone, you can record that, that uh, exchange and you can post that and repurpose that and use that in other ways. So that gives you um, a lot more longe- a longer, you know, a longer bit for your dollar. So you're there. So how can we maximize this opportunity? What can we extract from this opportunity that we can use later and, um, you know, repurpose it? So that would be my suggestion. I think that's a great idea. But both of you, those are great ideas. I mean, think about it. <clears throat> the big trade show houses that I've dealt with in the past when I, when I had to do this kind of stuff, um, they have a, if, the, if they're storing your stuff, they're getting ready to deliver it or whatever, they have a real good map of what your booth looks like. And let's say it's a booth for a 40 by 40 foot exhibit. You could tell them, take a look at all the components for that 40 by 40 exhibit. We're going to keep the space. We've committed to the 40 by 40. But what we want to do is take um, 30 by 30 or 20 by 30 or some portion of that. And we want that to be active exhibit. And we want you to figure out a way to use our current booth materials to create a decent booth and that amount of space. And the rest of it, we're going to rent high tops and chairs and attract the doctors to sit there and lounge around and have their lunch or whatever and be around our booth, you know, in a comfortable way. You know, that might be a a cheap way that you're not shipping all this stuff out, but you send less people, you have an impactful booth, you think outside the booth, so to speak, and and you give people a place to eat lunch. You might be surprised. It might work out pretty well. (laughs) <laughs> I, I totally agree. And I think that if you have the right partner in your exhibit house, they can do that and still make it look nice and not like you're piecemealing from a smaller booth to fit a bigger space. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they they can get really creative and work with you. And I, I think, you know, uh, us as event managers might be surprised if we just reach out to our exhibit house and say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. Make it look cool. Do it on a budget you know, they'll come back to us with some great ideas that we would have maybe never thought about ourselves. And, you know, on those tables. That idea is like a a de facto fireside chat. So, and who knows what can happen when you get that kind of energy going in a a small space. 
Yeah, yeah. And the the whole thought about the high tops is sometimes at these shows, it's hard to find a place to have your lunch or to or to sit and look at your schedule and plan what you're doing or talk to a friend. And um, if you had a bunch of those things, it said sponsored by your company because you sort of gave up your space to do that, um, you might create a, f- a fair amount of goodwill. Great ideas. Great ideas, uh, Lauren and Kimberly. I'm looking at what we have here because we're going to need to shift gears here pretty quickly and uh, finish up this part of the program. Let's talk about like the pre and post show planning, lead retrieval, CRM, digital cards. What are your thoughts about some of those things to make your attendances fall a little bit um, more effective? Okay, so let's talk about pre-planning. The pre-planning varies, depends on the show, uh, depends on your commitment to the show. Uh, The the pre-planning can start as early as the last day of the show the year before, where you you select your booth on site. Um, Or it can be as narrow as six months before, 90 days before. It just depends on the complexity of the show and um, the presence that you plan to invest in that particular show. One thing that I'm a big fan of, and I always encourage clients to do is if an organization or an exhibit show sponsor has priority points programs, participate. Because what that does is that positions you, uh, you have a higher positioning to select your booth, to select sponsorship opportunities, to just for everything. And a lot of times organizations, they don't participate and then there's opportunities that they're interested in, but it's it's already gone, right? A first refusal, uh, you know, company XYZ had a hundred thousand points. That's because they've been participating. They've been following the checklist that a show has. And each, each every time you hit a point, you get all these extra points. And that, that can be very valuable to an organization, especially smaller organizations um, who may not accumulate points as quickly as a larger organization, but definitely participate in any incentive programs because that will change your positioning uh, going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I do think that, so twofold. So when you're speaking to your internal stakeholders um, about expectations and planning for an event, we need to be really transparent way early. So set the deadline, set the, um, you know, make a Gantt chart, talk about how requests and, you know, planning takes longer and that it's going to be more expensive and kind of set those expectations when you're planning. Because if you don't, people may be surprised on site or post-show when they get the bill. And um, we don't want that for any of our fellow event managers I think that when we think about technology um, and what we can do to really make our show that there's good ROI at these programs is to have a universal lead retrieval that, you know, you're you're not paying $2,000 plus at every show for your team to have to learn a new technology, not have all the custom qualifiers that you want and be kind of fumbling around with the day of. So, you know, my recommendation Look at universal lead retrieval, see if that's a viable option for your company. If so, I would recommend um, adopting it because those will work at shows that are, you have a small tabletop booth and there's 100 attendees or one where you have a 40 by 40 booth and there's you know 20,000 people. So um, that's an important aspect. Uh, also thinking about what all of your marketing deliverables are, both pre and post show, 
and working with all of your stakeholders internally to plan those out, get them pushed through PRC for approval, to set timelines for social posts, uh, pre and post show emails, thinking about the entire campaign around a trade show rather than you know just showing up is really important. And that also helps to create better ROI, to create better engagement, both pre-show, on-site, and post-show too. So can we create more flyers? Can we have QR codes built in that are interactive? Um, And then finally, I know a colleague of ours shared that they have digital business cards that all of their trade show attendees have. So they will show like a QR code on their phone. And when somebody captures their business card, they then in return receive, you know, the the per, the attendees information. I don't know how it works, um, but it's exciting and I'm looking into it because I think that's a great way uh, to have dual communication, you know, with the touch of a button. So, you know, technology is your friend and so is communication and planning, you know, all of the marketing around a show, not just a show. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I One of my clients, I was at one of their shows recently and they had a QR code on a piece of several pieces of paper, the same QR code across the top of the booth. And all you needed to do was hit that QR code with your phone and it was linked right to HubSpot. And you could fill out the attendees information on a form and it fed HubSpot. It, all your work was done. It was, uh, it was really cool. And so that sort of goes to what you're talking about, Lauren, it's sort of similar but it, it became a lead retrieval system that you didn't have to invest in. Uh, I, I thought that worked really, really well. Okay, so we're we're pretty close to wrapping up the whole discussion about 2022, what we what we should be thinking about. I guess one question I'll ask both of you as we wrap this part of it up and and then we'll move into 2023, which is the second podcast. But do you think that one thing you've seen in 2021? 2022 is that marketing has become a more important role in the company as it supports trade shows and events. I would I would say so. I I, I don't know that it's become more important, but I think that the realization of the importance is 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 now more widely recognized. You know when it when it comes to marketing, and I think too that um, event planners and managers have sort of taken on a larger role within marketing uh, because we've had to adapt and create virtual experiences and really work hard in order to make sure that the value is seen in the events that we're managing. And I think a lot of us also have taken advantage of some downtime, you know, over the last couple of years during the pandemic to learn more to really brush up on our marketing, understanding the entire journey of experiential events and marketing, and kind of take that knowledge to our companies. So I think that the importance has always been there, but I think that, you know, the kind of people that event managers and marketers are is that we want to come back strong and to show people, you know, how enormously valuable marketing and marketing event or event related marketing is your thoughts Kimberly I think that marketing has always been important I think that um, how we look at marketing has evolved and I think that when you do have you execute a marketing plan or you use a marketing tool 
also taking into consideration how you can pre, uh, repurpose that, that action, that idea, that content, that gives uh, organizations a lot more leverage and uh, a better return on their investment. So I think how we're looking at marketing and how we do it and the tools that we use, that's expanded. Yeah, the, it's um, my biggest gripe, especially in small to mid-sized companies, is that they've always been sales-driven in med tech and not so much marketing-driven. They should be more marketing-driven. And I think it goes back to the story that you were talking about, Kimberly, earlier. If somebody has a story, there's a way to tell it. And there's so many more mm-hmm. tools available now, especially like with, like, and you mentioned this video, you know, take the video mm-hmm. that you get at a show and use it. There's so many more tools that you can use to tell that story and tie that into trade show and events and then to reutilize it and so on and so forth. Um, I, th- I think it has a, a really important role and COVID really pointed that out. Well, I'm going to wrap up this section. So ladies, thank you very much for where our focus today was what the landscape looks like now, what 2022 looks like as we go through the end of the year. And when we come back um, in this next episode, we're going to be talking about 2023. So I really appreciate your participation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. For those of you that have been listening to the podcast for a long time, you may remember a series of episodes in 2020 about virtual trade shows and events. I am talking about episodes 19, 20, and 21 which were panels of guests. And at that time, the panels we put together thought that virtual exhibits would be much more successful and that virtual events would become a big part of the future trade show experience, even after the pandemic. Virtual events have become more popular and impactful outside of trade show venues. But virtual exhibits, on the other hand, have been a failure so far. They just don't provide the engagement needed to support actionable leads. And human interaction is a powerful thing. People love to get together. So trade shows are making something of a comeback. But as Lauren and Kimberly told us in this program, trade shows are different and will remain changed for a long time to come. Make sure you understand how they have changed and how to use other events to your advantage. Now remember, this is the first of two parts. Our episode regarding trade shows and events in 2023 will be in a couple weeks. Please remember to take the survey. And thanks for spending time with Kimberly, Lauren, and me today. Now go win your week. (laughs) 